This is a one and all media podcast. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. You were made for another world. But you know something's not right. You know something is off. We've lost our way home. We're exiled. We're living in a faraway land and our soul, everything within us wants to find our way home. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Pastor Jeff is in a new series on re, recommitment, reawakening, revival, and in this episode, he's talking about restoration and renewal. He has a message for us from Ezekiel 37, a passage about the Valley of the Dry Bones. Here's Pastor Jeff as he begins today's message. Bibles, if you would, Ezekiel chapter 37, God gives his people this picture of restoration and renewal. Here's how it goes. Verse 1 of chapter 37, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Think about that. Think about that. What's the, what's the popular show? Dead, walking dead, okay? This beats that, uh, light years, right? You got all these bones in the dead valley and then suddenly they're clanging, clanging and they're put together, they form skeletons and then God puts flesh on them. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, quickly, look at verse 11. It reveals to us the manner in which Israel actually sees themselves. The Bible says, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, that's Israel says, our bones are dried up. In other words, it's been so long since we've been home. We've lost our identity, our nation, our culture, even our language. Those days of Abraham talking about the fact that our descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand and the sea and the stars in the sky, they're so remote. We're not just dead. We're completely dead. Our flesh has rotted away. And our bones have lain in this valley for so long, we're dust. Now, that's a long time. And then he says in verse 11, we are cut off. That's curse language. 
At Sinai, God said, here are the Ten Commandments. If you disobey these commands, you'll be cut off. And to be cut off means that you'll be cut off from the supply of the blessings of God as a result of violating his precepts. So once again, God doesn't have to sit up in heaven and say, you did this, I'm going to come after you. It's cause and effect. If you live outside the parameters God gives you, it will impact your life in a negative way. Now that should remind us, Israel blatantly violated all these principles and now they're crumbling. And the Bible says God is not balked, the person reaps what they sow. So if you're gonna pray for the nation, for instance, you could pray for the nation, that's good, but what are you actually praying for? You're praying that their eyes would be open and there would be repentance, right? That we would do a 180. You can pray all you want, but without repentance and people doing a 180, it's not like God's gonna say, okay, you're sinning against God, you're violating all the Judeo-Christian principles by which our country was founded, but I'm still gonna bless you. The Bible says God is not mocked. A man or woman reaps what they sow. You pray for your family, same thing. It's okay, it's a good thing to pray for your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, good thing. But what exactly are you praying for? That their eyes would be open to the direction they're going, that they would repent, do a 180, and walk the other way. So ultimately, I don't know if you know this, but you're praying that God would wreak havoc in your loved one's life so that their eyes would be open. Now, Israel is crumbling because they've gone their own way. And God promises he's going to restore all that has been lost. And he keeps his word. Think about this. We've got to move through this fast. One, did he not restore Israel as a nation? Did they not come back into the land in 1948? Were they not declared a people, a nation? Did they not regain their identity? And what's amazing about all this is they're such a small nation and they've endured unparalleled suffering and alienation without being ultimately defeated. It's miraculous, okay? Now, second though, we're told that God is gonna send the one who would be cut off from the land of the living so that you and I would never have to be cut off. Remember what we read a few weeks ago in Daniel 9? And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Well, if not for himself, for who? For us. So that's why scholars believe this passage has a dual prophecy in it. The first prophecy is about physical Israel. They've sinned against God and God is gonna restore them and God did. But it's also a prophecy about spiritual Israel, the church, you and me, and that's why we're reading it. As a matter of fact, are you familiar with Romans chapter 2, verse 28? Here's what Paul says. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now, what's he saying? There are two Israels, Israel the nation and you. And your circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. And in that respect, you are the people of God. So the prophecy back in Ezekiel 37 and 38 is not only meant for the nation of Israel, it's meant for the people of God. Now, for those of you who study theology, this is not replacement theology. God doesn't replace Israel with the church. Israel still has the promises of God. But we as the church are the spiritual Israel, and we are also given the prophecy that we're going to rise again. Now, 
Israel's exile goes all the way back to Abraham. But our exile goes all the way back to the garden. We too are exiled. If you're in the room and you're young, listen, especially to this section. Because according to the scripture, that's why there's this perpetual discontent in you. Because your soul knows that you're exiled. You're away from home. You know something's wrong. No matter how many times you chase something down and you experience something good, which is okay. There's a lot of good in life that God provides. But every time you chase it down and you capture it, there's still something missing. That's why when you think by getting married that your whole life is going to be perfect and every problem is going to be solved, talk to somebody who's married. Right? They'll tell you you got a whole heap of new problems. It's good, it's sweet, but it doesn't solve everything. As a matter of fact, I've often said, as much as I love my wife, and I'm more in love with my wife today than I've ever been, however, there's still a part of me that she can't fill. There is a love that goes beyond romance relationship. There's a hole in your heart that only God is big enough to fill. But you won't learn that until you get older. Because you have to try them all first. And I hope and pray to God you don't destroy yourself before you recognize that. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. You were made for another world. But you know something's not right. You know something is off. We've lost our way home. We're exiled. We're living in a faraway land and our soul Everything within us wants to find our way home. We too are physically and spiritually dry bones. Now, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, one of the all-time classics, one of the all-time greatest books, and he was a survivor of uh, the camps, the death camps. And in the book, he talks about how different groups of people responded to the atrocities of the concentration camps. And he said, because when you go to those camps, the first thing they do is strip you of everything you own. You've got nothing. So death is imminent. It's not a matter of if you're going to die, it's when. And he said there were three groups of people. He said the first people were, they just became bad. In that moment, they lost all their principles. They betrayed their brothers. They exploited people. They became informers. They did anything they could do to survive. You know, there's an entire book written on the topic of how Jews became informers for the Germans against their own people to survive. He said there's a second group. They just gave up. Once they realized what was going on, they just dried up, shriveled up in a corner, gave up, despondent, and died pretty quickly. And he said then there was a third group. And the third group became heroic. Courage. Sacrifice. Loving, kind, helpful. And in the whole book, the entire book, Victor Frankl, who's not a Christian, but trying to figure out what makes people tick, said that he discovered that if you had a hope in your life that suffering and death could take away from you, you didn't last very long in the camp. So if your hope and trust were in money or status or even in relationships, wealth, whatever it was, and it's all gone, most people, he said, did not have a hope they could stand up to death. 
Their hope was in this life. Therefore, they, like their hope, began to crumble. I thought of the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have a hope only for this life, then we of all people are most miserable. The thing about suffering and death is it will take everything you hope for in this life away, and then you will wither away as well. Unless you have a hope, listen now, unless you have a hope that can transcend death, you are dry bones with no future and no hope. Now, so you got two things happening in the story. You've got the nation of Israel and you've got every believer. Now look at the promise we're given in verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons of flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the breath. Notice that, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breathe, or come breath rather, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Now, I want you to notice the progression. You still with me? Man, stay with me till the end now. Got a little bit of hard work here, but it'll be worth it. In verse seven, the bones become skeletons. In verse eight, the skeletons become flesh, but they're still corpses. There's no life in them. Now, I know what that's like. Does anybody get that? I've preached to you sometimes on a weekend, and I know you have bones and there's flesh on you, but I wonder. Is there any life in that? Is, is there life out there, right? Well, God says, Ezekiel, let's bring the four winds, the breath of God, which is in verse 14, the spirit of God, and God breathes on these dead bodies and they come to life. The metaphor is very clear here. He's basically saying you're dead as a nation, but I'm gonna bring you back. I'm gonna give you a hope and a future, an identity. I'm gonna restore your culture, your nation, your people, all that you lost. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to raise these dead bones to life, and Israel will live. However, they still have a problem, the same problem you and I have, the ultimate exile. They knew there was a greater return from exile, a greater escape than this, and they were right. Now, come on now. John chapter 20, Jesus physically appears to the disciples, and what did he do? Does anybody remember? He breathed on them. Same idea here. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's that all about? Ezekiel. The Holy Spirit's not only a sanctifier, he's a life giver. So when Jesus did that to the disciples, here's what he's saying. When he breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit, he says, I'm about to lead you on the ultimate return from exile. Not just Israel, but death itself. I'm gonna solve your ultimate problem which means you're always going to have an enduring hope. And I'm going to breathe the spirit of life into you. And because I was raised from the dead, so shall those who believe in me also be raised. The ultimate hope. This infallible hope that the death camps can't do anything about. Nor cancer, or any type of illness, nor any type of loss, nor old age, nor any debilitating, disintegrating thing. There is a hope that nothing can eradicate. 
Death, I mean, when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, I've looked at this numerous times. I think the Apostle Paul was trash talking. This was the first trash talker, Paul. Because he looks at death and he says, you ain't got nothing. Where's your sting? What you got? You have no power. You can't touch this. You better think again. If you try to lay me low, you'll only raise me higher. If you try to destroy me, you'll only recreate me into something greater than you could ever imagine. George Herbert said this, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him just a gardener. So if indeed there is a resurrection of the body that defeats death, and quite frankly, I find that to be good news, don't you? The older you get, the better that news is, right? But is this merely reserved? Is Ezekiel 37 and 38 reserved only for the second coming and the resurrected body? Let me say this as clearly as I can. No, nit, negative, not, nay, nix, no. Notice what the gospel, this is beautiful. So get yourself fired up here. Here's what the Bible says. Notice God does not snap his fingers and say, bones, stand up and walk. Instead, he gives a command. He says to the prophet, preach the word to these dry bones. Why doesn't God just go, boom? Because the truth is the vehicle for this hope getting into your life. Paul says in Romans 10, how they can they call upon the one they've not believed in and how can they believe in one they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you have any hope of ever being raised from the dead, if you hope to come back to life, both physically and spiritually, you gotta hear, understand, receive the truth. You got to hear, understand, and then receive the truth. And that's not easy in today's world, is it? That's why we're dead men and women walking. Today, that's so countercultural. I hear this all the time on university campuses. Pastor Jeff, why do you Christians claim to have the truth? Why can't you just say that we have something that gives everybody peace and joy and leave it at that? Why do you have to say that Jesus Christ has come to earth and was raised from the dead? And he provided atonement whereby our sins can be forgiven. And there's no way to the Father except through the Son. Why do you have to see that? Why can't you just see Jesus as a symbol, not a reality? When you say that, Pastor, it makes you look supreme or your religion superior. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment. You're part of the early church, and you're talking to people who have no hope. They're slaves. They're oppressed. They're poor. And you say this to them, I want to talk to you about Jesus, but he's only a symbol. Somehow a symbol that spring follows winter in bad times. After bad times, good times will come. Just hold on and things will get better. Do you think a first century slave would say, wow, that changes my life. I'm transformed. Now I can face the grinding poverty and oppression. Woo-hoo, right? No, no. Only the truth will set you free. God came in the form of Jesus Christ and he went right into the belly of death and broke its back, says Tim Keller. He defeated death in real time and real space. Death could not hold him because he's Emmanuel, God with us. And if he's God, he's ipso facto omnipotent. And if 
He breathes life into you. You will be raised from the dead. And all who believe in him shall be saved. And because of Christ, your identity can be rock solid, your kingdom unshakable, your joy everlasting. That is the truth. So first of all, stay with me. If you hope to live again, if those dead bones out there hope to live again physically and spiritually, we'll get to it in a moment, the first thing you gotta do, you gotta hear, you gotta understand what the gospel is. You gotta believe it. And then you've got to acknowledge the truth. Now, here's the second thing you have to do. You've got to have the Spirit of God breathed into you. When I went through this passage again, I'm 58 years old, and going through this passage opened my eyes to the spiritual realities of what we're facing, in the, not only in America, but the world. Here's what he says in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, or from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, what does this tell you? Come on now. What does it sound like? He's gonna cleanse you from all your impurities. How are you cleansed? Through what? How many of you have heard it, believed it, and understand it? What cleanses you from your sin? That's right. The blood of Jesus. It's called the atonement. Without it, there's no sacrifice for your sin. And then he says he will give you a new heart. Not a heart of stone. Not a heart, listen now, not a heart that is unfeeling, unmoved, numb to the things of God, apathetic, cavalier to God's voice and leading. So faith is not merely a transaction, it's a transformation. When you truly hear and receive the gospel, you become spiritually woke. You wake up. Your eyes have been opened. And suddenly, you begin to see things you've never seen, feel things you've never felt, with a, a sense of volition where you're able to do things you never thought you'd be able to do. It's a heart that comes alive with passion for the things of God. You can't do that until he brings his life into you. In the New Testament, Jesus calls this being born again. In his conversation with Nicodemus, John 3, 5 through 7, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Unless they are cleansed, atonement, blood of Jesus, and spirit. God breathes life into them. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit, God, gives birth to spirit, your spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. That means when you hear the truth and believe the truth, you are spiritually resurrected now. You're alive the new birth is yours. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You see, you feel, you do things you never thought you could see or feel or do. Now, oh, it's getting good now, right? Does this describe you? Does it? Have your dead bones inside been raised? Have you been born again? Has God breathed his spirit on you or are you spiritually dried up? 
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Listen, this dry bones passage is clearly about people who knew God, worshiped God, treasured the law of God, were intimate with God in times past, and now they're just dry bones. Which means if scholars are right, I've got to apply this to people who received the word of God at one point in their life. They knew God, worshiped God, treasured the law of God, were intimate with God, but now spiritually they're dry bones. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.